You are listening to iFanboy's Booksplode, Starman Omnibus, Volume 1. I owe you. Welcome to iFanboy's first episode of Booksplode, and and what that is, for those of you who, we're making it up as we go, but iFanboy.com is our website, and we are going to talk about a single volume, a, a graphic novel, or a, a book that, that we think deserves talking about, because for whatever reason, we thought this was the best way to do it. I am Josh Flanagan. Um, with me is Connor Kilpatrick. Hello, everyone. And Sonia Harris. Hiya. And, and Paul Montgomery. Hello, the world. Hello, the world. Uh, Sonia and Paul are writers for iFanboy.com, and uh, Connor, you've met. What we're Sorry, do is... I apologize. I was drunk. Yeah, it's... <laughs> <Always> <laughs> That's the... my standard greeting upon meeting someone. Always with the apologies. Yes. Oh, but it doesn't, that doesn't pay the bills, dude. I know. <laughs> you got babies you got to take care of. Anyway... Uh, we wanted to take some time and, and really get into talking about um, the first volume of the Starman Omnibus came out just over a year ago now, and it's one of those things where, where we could have done a, a video show, but we would have had to wait the requisite five years for all of it to come out. That, um, that soon? Yeah, exactly. Sure. Um, <laughs> there's going to be six volumes of this, and, and if all goes well, then maybe we'll do one on all of them, um, provided we're still kicking around when we're in our late 60s. Anyway... Um, in case you don't know, Starman is sort of the seminal uh, DC series of, of, I guess, the mid-90s. Um, it was, it's the one that sort of paved the way for the future of, of what comics would become you know, in sort of the era of the 90s. That was about a whole lot of different things, but this is one of the great series from it. Um, basically, Starman in this refers mostly to Jack Knight, who is the, the son of Ted Knight, who's been around in, in DC and National Comics for decades and decades, was part of the All-Star Squadron and Justice Society. And this is the the new take, the updated version on the future of the legacy. And uh, I, I guess we should just get started and talk about like whether whether you guys read it at the time or heard about it or um, you know what you thought of the thought of it beforehand, Connor. What- hey, who who did, who did this mysterious series, Josh? See, I told you that would happen. Uh, <laughs> James Robinson uh, was a, was a new and up and coming writer at the time, and uh, Tony Harris was a new an up and coming um, artist at the time. So neither of them were really well known, and they sort of they made their bones on this book. And since then, they've become relatively big names in the industry. Um, and this is considered to be sort of the the masterwork uh, for for at least for for Robinson at this point. Um, kind of like his Sandman, I mean, yeah. Kind of the long series he's known for, and sort of I don't want to say coasts on it because he does good work, but like it's the one that everyone sort he sort of. You can live off this in while. He, yeah, he's going to live off these. In, too. in like like the way that Francis Ford Coppola does. Right. Yeah. And again, I like his stuff now, but it's it's very much the series he's tied to and will forever be tied to. Yeah. It. That was a horrible statement. That made him sound bad now, and that's not what I meant to do, but he could. Like, if he just produced all shit after this, it wouldn't matter because he like, did Starman. Right. Um, so Starman started, Jack, as Josh mentioned, Jack Knight is the main character, and he first appeared in Zero Hour, the absolutely horrible miniseries in 1994. And then from there, they, I guess that was part of the outgrowth that they seeded him in there. Because that, that zero-hour mini had to deal with the end of the Justice Society, mm-hmm. where they were um, – this is – again, and this is old. This is all pre the current Justice Society, which is very popular. And and it's different. If you look back then, they were all old men like they would be. They were all in their 70s and 80s. And it was kind of kind of ridiculous. 
<laughs> these old guys running around, and then they're eventually they were de-aged to the point where they're sort of middle-aged now, and that's it's a little more palatable in terms of these guys running around in their costumes. But back then they were old men, so at this point they brought in the new star man, who was the new generation, kind of what DC does with their heroes. So this is where we are, and this is where we begin. So we're talking about from this is basically from the beginning of 1995, end of 1994. That's when these comics came out, and and uh, you weren't reading comics then, right? Jeff? No, not at all. And I was, and where Sonia and Paul was a baby, and was I was Sonya eleven years old. <laughs> Jesus, baby. son of a bitch. I, and I'm eight thousand years old. So, Sonia, were so you reading, reading comics or were you reading this? I was reading comics, but I wasn't reading this. No, I had a bit of a lull in the '90s when I was trying to um, avoid comics because everyone thought I was insane. And um, and this passed me by, um, sadly. But now I, I have the joy of of having the omnibus to read, so that's much more fun. And I, I I was reading reading comics back then. We were just starting college, and I was not reading this series, even though I heard a lot about it. And it's funny. I have a funny history with this, is because the first this first omnibus is basically the two, first two trades that came out, and. I read them. I, Josh bought later, later, many years later, probably in the early 2000s. Josh had had all the trades or all the trades that you could get at the time, and I went to visit him in Los Angeles one week and read the first two. And he later gave them to me as a Christmas present, the first two trades, and I reread re- re- them. Then yeah. the first omnibus came out, and I reread that, and it was basically all I've ever read of the series is the first two trades, and I've read it four times. <laughs> you haven't read the second one yet. No, I haven't read the second one yet. I've been waiting in pre- preparation to do this show and also because my stack is... is yeah. The second yeah. one it came out already and the third one's about to come out. So we'll, we'll probably get to those a little quicker. And then after the third one, you'll probably have to wait a while. Right. So I've been rereading over and over these first 16 issues. I know them very well. <laughs> I suppose you do. <laughs> um, Paul, what do you know about this? Well, this is um, sort of my favorite corner of the DC universe. Like this is, uh, I've been told that I would love this book, um, though I, I hadn't read it until this weekend. Um, and I mean, I, I love all the JSA stuff and, and all the nostalgic stuff. And uh, I'd, I'd been told that this, this would be right up my alley because there's carnival freaks and, and antique collectors and stuff like that. And uh, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd started it and I wasn't so hot on it. And I got yelled at and that got put in my file. Uh, at the iFanboy offices. Paul has a big file. I have, I have a big file. Um, and uh, basically, this is my penance uh, talking about this today. So uh, we'll, we'll get into my thoughts later. Um, for, my, for my own part, um, I would, I, it's one of those things that I heard about. And I got through the first like five trades. And I remember I got stuck on the trades because they didn't number them back then. And even more frustratingly, like... They the, still don't number them, by the they way. They still don't. But, the, well, they, a couple of, like three and four are out of print, but... You know, or I don't even know if they're still printing the trades, but either way, um, so you don't know which one's, which one's next. So every time I was in a place where I was like, maybe I'll pick one of these up, I couldn't ever remember which one it was. Even to the point where, like, on Amazon, I couldn't quite figure out what the next one was because even the issues in the trades were not in the order that they came out. Oh, I hated that. Because of I the way that the series that. was uh, told. Like, they would basically, they built in a thing where there'd be an arc that Tony Harris drew, and then there would be, like, a special issue, a Times Past issue. And then there would be another arc, and they they put the arcs together, and then put all the times passed together in its own book, and mm. you know did it like I, that. I just hate that they do that so much, and it's like no, just give it to us as they meant it. It's like when you buy a best of compilation album by an artist you like, and you don't get because what I like about this is it was coming out in the '90s, and if you think about what was coming out in the '90s, there was good stuff, but it was it was very 
it was not like it is now where you could just pick and choose. You really had to seek it out. And so the fact that this has the staying power it has is is incredible. And I, I want to get it as the creator meant it mm-hmm. to be consumed. I want it in the order he made it. So I had like the first five trades for years. I mean like really, <laughs> really long time. And then like a year, year and a half ago, actually probably probably almost two years ago, I ended up with like a tax rebate, and I was like, "Screw this!" And I bought all the five that I needed. Um, so I read the whole thing straight through again, and and literally, I think weeks after I got them, like they announced the omnibus. So, <laughs> so that's, that's, that happened again. That happens to me a lot. Um, but when I when I, it's funny because uh, I really like I'd been hearing about the series for a while, and I liked it, but obviously I didn't like it enough to really follow up on finishing it after the five. Um. You know, like I, I, I spoke fairly highly, but I never went and bothered to finish it. Um, and, and, and I guess that'll play in a little about what we're going to talk about. So why don't we talk about now that we've been talking for a while, uh, whether anybody liked it or, or what you thought of it. Um, Connor, you read it many times now, and you've only read the first two parts. So, so what, are you, what are you thinking about Wait, it at this point? There's more? Yeah, there is. Um, <laughs> I actually really do like it. Uh, I think it re- it read better in the omnibus, in the omnibus than it did in the trades for whatever reason. I don't know if it, their issues are out of a different order than they are in the trades or not. They are slightly. But, um, I I like a lot of things about it. It's it, it is very much of the times. It is a very firmly in the '90s, which can be good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, bad in terms of fashion, which was mm-hmm. horrific, and bad the this the 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 pop culture references are very much of the 90s which really if you if you're old enough it's all right but it still puts you it puts you right back in there which i don't know if it's some of them are of the 40s and 50s though so it's hard to tell right but the, the 90s ones stand stand way out and it's if that happens in any book and that's just a pet peeve you know pop culture references tend to be really of the current pop culture references you know when yeah. references that are happening as the book's coming out tend to really date the book but anyway well, I for really example, like Chris Isaac is the epitome of cool in this book. Hey, he was the epitome of cool. I, in I understand that. Just, is he not still? He kind he of. He has a talk show. Yeah. What? Well, and the fact that yeah, the, the the whole like, I don't know, like the the evil Manson figure, the Charles Manson figure, the, what's it called, Ragdoll. I mean, that was yeah of its time, but I think it was it was a really strong, iconic use of that. that oh, kind totally. Of like, I think it's more like the fact that that. Well, I guess we should kind of talk about Jack Knight. Yes. Um, and, and sort of. Oh, are you talking about his layering? Because if he lived in San Francisco, he'd dress that way anyway. Because it gets cold and hot and cold and hot. You need t-shirts, well, I didn't, jackets. I didn't mean that at all. Oh, okay. I think we should talk about the fact that if you look in the back of the omnibus, they have the character designs. And originally, Jack Jack Knight had a had a um, ponytail. So oh, all, I know. We should I all thank thank Tony Harris or, or whoever made that decision to lose the ponytail because that would have been a whole different book. And, I really, and I, he had like a, a scarf, like a cowl neck. I t-shirt. literally think that if if they had come out with a ponytail, it would be like it would be like the Hitman books today. You just couldn't get them, and no one would care. <laughs> oh, just because of a ponytail? Yeah, it would have would have swung the tides. Um, basically, I mean, this is this is all the whole thing is going to be Jack Knight's story, and it's about your ability to get on board with him. Jack Knight is is basically the son of Ted Knight, uh, who was Starman for a long time. Starman is a red outfit with a yellow star and a red hooded thing with a fin on top of it and a big green cape. It's a goofy looking costume, and the whole approach that that Jack Knight has about his father is. It's a goofy-looking costume, and I don't want to be caught dead doing it. And basically, spends his whole life rebelling against what that is. And so, 
Well, that's not that's not actually true. He spends his whole adulthood well, right, repressing the memory of wanting to be a superhero when he was a kid. Like he idolizes his dad. This is true. Um, but but when you meet him, what the first thought that you have about him is that he wants nothing to do with that part of the whole thing, and he's a he's he's a he's a junk dealer. He's a uh, he's a collectible enthusiast and dealer. Yeah, I, I think you need to change the language you're using. First of all, it, we don't call them junk dealers because they deal something else. Well, but um, he calls it junk dealer. I mean, that's, that's I know, but that's in mid nineties no, no, nowadays. No, his father his father calls him a junk dealer, and he says don't use that word. He actually doesn't. Okay. Yeah, but junk means drugs dude like i'm just saying right now well, don't talk to me like i'm new to the streets <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's just it just sounds weird when you say he's a junk dealer it's like that's oh my what i would God. say i was in a bad 80s cop show he's but dealing that's... junk <laughs> i'm just saying no, i'm saying literally... the thing is the fact is i grew up with a house filled with that kind of ephemera heroin <laughs> <laughs> Baker light salt and pepper pots from the thirties. It's funny is that I don't know what any of that stuff is that he's referring to. Oh just, my god, it's it's everything that's beautiful about product design, and I it made the book a thousand times more interesting for me because I grew up around that stuff. I've I spent years searching for those kind of things. I love that kind of thing. I do think that it if you think the book is dated to the nineties, I think it lends much more to Art Deco and I think that's fantastic because if you look at Tony Harris's art he either has a Deco feel like he does in this or you go to something like Ex Machina where he goes crazy Art Nouveau some of the covers he does in this but it's so Deco which is perfect for all the well, junk it's, it's, yeah, it's totally Deco it's the, the art, the art style is totally Art Deco but that's, yeah. not, that's not the pop culture reference that's totally different that's, but that's, that's, that was more beside the point. We don't, but I don't if you think about it, the 50s was really fashionable in the early 90s, so it kind of exactly. makes sense. Well, the thing is – Again, that's not, again, that wasn't what I was talking about. That's, we're getting hung up on a – Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so basically Jack is, is obsessed with all of these old things, and he has, he has a shop where he sells this kind of stuff. And the, the basic premise um, is that Davey, who is uh, Jack's older brother, slightly older brother – Become Starman, and right at the beginning, here's your big spoiler, by the way, deal with it, uh, he gets killed. <laughs> and so the idea is somebody has to take up this mantle because Opal City, which is, by the way, pretty much a character in this story, um, needs a Starman. And so he reluctantly agrees to take care of it, you know, for the meantime while it's needed, and, and thus begins our story. Um, that's about right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people have trouble with Jack because he is not your typical um, – hero type he doesn't really want to be doing it he's not even the reluctant hero he's kind of the annoyed hero he doesn't really want to be there he doesn't like the costume he doesn't like the tropes of being the superhero and i think it probably would piss off a lot of people who do like that i know thinking back one of the reasons why i didn't read this book is because at the time it was very fashionable to have the heroes out of their costumes mm-hmm. and hate the trope and hate the costumes and hate the code names and i, I always like that stuff that's right the superhero comics so that's part of the reason why i didn't read it you were davy Basically, yeah. I mean, that was some. I, I didn't find it cool to hate the costumes. I found it cool but, to be in the costumes. So that's why, one of the reasons why I did it. But, but, but I he's an everyman. He's he's meant for us to be able to relate to him. And if you were told personally to put on a costume, wouldn't you be a bit uncomfortable? Actually, with that? I don't think that that's that's true. Um, I think. Well, no. <laughs> I think Connor would not want to wear spandex. No, that's no, just my Connor. personal feeling. <laughs> no, but Jack's not an everyman, and that's actually kind of the point of the whole story. You think so? Have you read the whole he, thing? He, he thinks he is. That's the point. He wants he, to be. He, yeah, exactly. He perceives he's trying very much to create himself as a regular guy who doesn't like that kind of thing. And a regular guy would not want to wear that stuff. I think that more so, I, I think more so he wants himself to be a cool guy. 
because it was written by and and there's a lot of James Robinson in this. I mean, like in the disastrous interview I did with him, that's one of the things that came out of it. But also, you you read it as you go through this and other things. You know, James was a you know a, a guy in his mid twenties in Los Angeles um, trying to make it in comics and be really cool. I don't know if you you know if you've seen him. Like he's got tattoos all over his arm. He he's a cool guy, and I think that part of this is that trying to be ironically detached you know hip, hipper than everybody and and sort of denying the things that you think are sincerely cool uh, or the things that you feel sincerely about because sincerity is death sort of so he surrounds himself with all this other stuff and all these things that, that was all he, it was and it would it, i wouldn't like the book but the the, the 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 brilliance is that underneath it all he really does like that stuff well, well paul you, you you know you read the first few of them and you weren't down with it i'm going to assume that's because jack is kind of a dick yeah no, I th- what, exactly what we're talking about was a really important turn for me when I realized that it, it's the, the book is more aware than I thought it was, that um, there was that level that he, th- he thought he didn't want this, but he actually, you know, it, I, I like that idea that he repressed the memory of wanting to be a superhero, and, and he thought that it was his brother who wanted to be Starman. When it was actually actually him who who longed to be a superhero and um, adjusting to that, so I actually I turned around on the book after the the first arc really the first um, I think like the first th- uh, zero through three mm-hmm. missed the, after those issues um, and also when the, that's when the art sort of took a little bit of a turn as well. Well, I think that one of the things that's really interesting about this, and I I agree with you in that I don't think that the first few of them. Uh, granted, now he had everything planned out really well, and it, it, everything that is stuff that's in the beginning of this. I, we're not going to talk about the stuff that comes later, but I will say that there's a lot of things early in this book. There are a lot of seeds that are planted that come to, into fruition over the course of the 80 issues of the series. I mean, from right in the beginning, which is pretty impressive. But I would agree that the first three, four issues are pretty rough. Um, they're over, and he would agree with that. In in the afterward, yes. I was I was just reading. He didn't. He doesn't. He's not so hot on the art or even his own writing. So that was some some nice honesty to see. But it did actually improve um, exponentially as the book went on. So I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. And you've you've lost. You've, you, first of all, by saying things like that, you're you're we're losing a trope uh, that we've had against you for a while. And and I feel bad about that. But. But I'm going to find something new. Well, um, what is, I guess what's the kind of stuff that re- really stuck out to you in this that, that, you, that you liked, Paul? Yeah, yeah. One, one thing that I really loved about this and we haven't touched on yet is, and it gets talked about with Starman a lot, is uh, the setting with Opal City and um, the love he has for creating this place and talking about it. And it's, it, there's a lot of poetry about it. Like a lot of the um, narration boxes mm-hmm. are about how the city looks and, and uh, the sensory experience of the city. And I really, really like that. You don't get that sense with a lot of other books. Uh, most attention is paid towards the action or the characters. And here he really makes sure that this this world is fully established and you sort of fall in love with that. So I, I really like that aspect of the book. Well, Sonia, you must have been into the fact that Opal City is like Art Deco heaven. Uh, yeah, that was interesting to me. I mean, the book is about looking back at these Golden Age heroes. So I felt like he used... Jack's job, he used the city, he used everything he could to sort of pay homage to that era and that time. It was a lot of fun. But I didn't think, um, I, didn't, I didn't like the way it was drawn that much compared to what I've seen Tony Harris do in other places, but I liked the style very much. It just wasn't, if I'd never seen Tony Harris do anything else, I would have been blown away. And like um, 
Robinson says in the introduction or is it in the afterward? I don't remember. But he talks about Tony Harris's sort of chiaroscuro style with a lot of shadow mm -hmm. and how much the story needed that. And so that for me was very important to know that that was a conscious choice. And I, I mean, from what I know about Robinson, he, he did a lot of uh, describing the panels and how the layouts would look. Mm -hmm. And so he, he very, I, I hadn't realized that until afterwards, until reading about it afterwards, how, how important that was to him and how conscious he was about creating that mood. Because it's not like a Golden Age comic, and yet every aspect of the art story pays homage to it so it's a very interesting dichotomy in that way it's, well, it's an interesting like like the art is it's funny because tony harris is such a distinctive style now but at this point it was still developing and if you've uh, read i guess it's in the back of the ex machina books right connor where the like he uses a lot of photo oh the trades yeah in the back of the trades they have a uh, whole things about how he does the, with all the with all the photo referencing and the actors he uses and but he doesn't and, he doesn't use that on this and that right actually which, I actually prefer this yeah. this to, to his current work mm -hmm. because it's he's actually comedy, isn't it? well he's actually and I don't want to say he's not drawing now but it's more to me it's more pure because he's actually just drawing people mm -hmm. and you can see you can see instances in here where he's photo referencing faces and that yeah. that's that's normal that that happens in all art even paint you know the famous painters of all of sure. time. But I just feel like there's more actual drawing here than there is photographs and then mm. light, light boxing, and that's fine. And I don't, I don't want to knock that. I just, I just prefer the more pure style of this. One of the things that's interesting, yeah. and I, uh, Paul touched on, is that he got, like he he sort of worked it out after a few issues, I think. And I would totally agree with that. In that, like the first few, like it's a weird looking book, and like sort of the faces kind of overact, and that what? might be. Really? You think so? <laughs> yeah. I would agree with that. Okay. Um, you know, compared All to... Right. I mean, Jack's really, really expressive, and it's almost like like he'd taken... Like, he, he, in the script, you see, uh, you know, he makes this kind of really pissed off face, and then so Tony, like, looks in a mirror, and this is what an animator would do, and, like, ah, like, made the most expressive, like, if you were doing an improv show and you needed to express something, like, I feel like the characters do that a lot. There's not... A ton ah, of subtlety in the face. A lot of sneering. There are people. There are people with very expressive faces, well, and right. it's useful for us to know what's going on. But it's. I mean, I'm saying he does it more than a lot of people do. Um, yeah. In comics, and that's not a, a good or a bad thing. But I notice it. It's not necessarily natural, which again isn't. Okay. You know, it's not trying to go for that realistic sort of thing. It's. It's different. Um, so well, with that in mind, then, what did you think of the issue that was drawn by Matt Smith? Because I thought that was one of the strongest ones. Is that issue, issue. Yeah. eleven? Yeah, issue eleven is my favorite um, issue in this um, because issue eleven is the story is incredible. The story is is incredible. Basically, it's called Thirteen Years Ago, and it's one of the times past tales. And so every, like I said, every arc or every chunk of issues or so another artist would come on and do a story called times past and what it would do is it would take you back to an earlier point in one of the characters lives uh or in opal city's past and and you would sort of revel in that for a while and it's funny because a lot of times with issues like this um they would be called uh, connor's evil word uh that he doesn't like uh, filler right and in this <laughs> uh, again i just have to say like stick with it in the in the in the respect that all of this stuff gets paid off it all ends up building one giant tapestry mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's really amazing. Even if it doesn't, what does it matter? It's a fantastic issue. Exactly. Um, and it really does. You need this information. Absolutely. But, yeah. Okay, so basically the, the story is that there was a character 
um, back, uh, it says 13 years ago, uh, called Ragdoll. And Ragdoll was a sort of a bullshit, you know, B-rate villain. No big deal. And he'd been put in jail a lot. And all of a sudden, at one point, he figured out that he could act like a cult leader and can convince people to do horrible things for him, like a Charlie Manson or something like that. And the Justice Society... I read this... Apparently, this sorry to interject, but didn't this character existed, but wasn't nearly as scary before James Robinson got hold of him? No, no, and he's like the Purple Man from Alias. Mm-hmm. Like he he was there, but you know, and then then Bendis came along, made him really scary. I I consider this sort of similar. I thought there was Robinson. Oh, I see. Bendis made the Purple Man. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, so so Jay Garrick, uh, Green uh, Flash, uh, Green Lantern, Alan Scott, Starman, uh, Ted Knight, the older, um, Rex. I forget his Harris. No, that's not right. That's an actor. Uh, Our man and then Doctor <laughs> Midnight get together, and they're like, "We have to deal with with this this ragdoll," and basically they kill him. Um, yeah. That's the deal. And the the idea is about like you've never I've never there is not a golden age story that I've ever read before, or a story of the golden age characters where they have to take these kind of extreme measures, and it's this. Really? Whoa, 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 whoa! You must not have read a lot of Golden Age stories, then. Well, okay, I have it. <laughs> at least I guess I guess at least in you're, it was, I, it I, was I, the Silver Age where they went to the no kill and stuff. I mean, yeah, the, in future, yeah. I mean. but if you, if you even if you look at like the way that they do Golden Age type stuff now, like they're always like the grandfatherly figures. That's yeah, but that's the that's the looking back. I mean, if you do the actual exactly. books, like Bucky's yeah. Bucky's machine gunning Nazis and Batman shot people. Now it's all okay. Yeah, it's like, now it's all rose tinted spectacles and no yeah. violence. Back in the day, it was yay, right on America, kill, kill, kill. But either way, that's that's the the, I guess the the environment in which you get this story. No, yeah, I think you're right. You wouldn't see a flashback of this now, or it's not right. less likely to see a. Like, but it, so, I just love the idea that it's a, it's a parsing of what it means for the heroes to have killed somebody, which for most superhero uh, comics these days, even now, is it's a big deal. Like you know, like everybody knows, like it was a big deal that that Barry Allen killed, you know, Professor Zoom, or that uh, Wonder Woman killed uh, Max Max Lord. Is that it? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, but he had her under mind control. That was right, never but clear. then that's always the out. <laughs> and in this story, it takes the straight-up approach. Listen, we don't know exactly who did it, but somebody did it, and really, in the end, it was the right, it was the right move. Well, he pulls the old, oh, I'm going to come back and kill your family, and they could kind of just go, shrug, yeah. kill. Yeah, and, and I, I love yeah. that, because the thing is, you, you, I mean, you're, even now, you really only get romantic flashbacks of these characters. Right. And, and the idea here is that they were in a real world, and I, it wasn't even, I don't want to say, because that's such a, since 1986, that's the comic thing. These are guys living in the real world. But this was even, it wasn't, I wouldn't call this gritty. It was just... As a matter of fact, it's like people who fought in World War II. Mm-hmm. I, killed, I killed Nazis because I had to. Like, that's kind of like the same mindset. Yeah. Um, but one little thing about this bugged me. It wasn't even this issue, and this is a totally minor thing, but I'm surprised it happened, was that this issue itself is alluded to earlier when, 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 he, when he tells Jack a story of, of them fighting Ragman briefly. And um, in that yeah. issue, they spell Alan's name wrong the entire time. I did notice that. <laughs> And I'm surprised they didn't fix that in the reprint. That's what I'm saying. I love that. You know, that's that's a thing that um, it's not. It doesn't happen so much now. But in the and again in the '90s, like the idea of wearing like they had the Charlie Manson shirt, or or even you know in the '70s, like wearing Nazi paraphernalia um, as as like ironic statements. Like he has Jack doing that, mm. and he's because he's got a Ragman shirt, and he's like, whatever, everybody does it. It's cool, you know. And and the father's like, you don't understand what it was actually like. And I just, I really enjoyed that story. 
Um, but that that is one of those things that like that was a trend that isn't really happening so much now. Although I guess if Scarface was real, people have more taste now. I don't know. Maybe it's the PC thing. Okay, but getting back to Issue Eleven, I just really was so jarred by how it looked. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so different from the rest of the comics. So much more brutal and simplistic and almost childlike. Some of it was. It was. It was. disappointing in some ways because I would have loved to have seen how Harris did this but I feel like it really put as you say it's an important story and it put like a a period at the end of the sentence really by making it stand out and be separate and different it almost looked like simplistic woodcuts by Edvard Munch it was really really strongly sad and simple and it works well what what, what Paul thinks because Paul's the big JSA guy I mean we we all like it but he's really he really is I I love the JSA no and I love this and and when I I flipped through I was like oh god how many more pages and I saw the JSA (gasps) here this gave me hope you what you said early on early early on in the book when I didn't like that first arc I was like oh I have so many more there's 17 issues in here and then when I saw that the JSA were coming up that gave me hope and then I slowly as I as I progress through the issues i realized I, i'm not agonizing over this i'm actually enjoying the ride so you are going to get to Yay. i don't remember which book it's in but you were going to get to an issue eventually with um the original sandman wesley dodds uh, yeah. Dodd, yeah and it is going to be the greatest thing you've ever it's, read it's gonna blow my mind i'm gonna love it <laughs> i swear to god it's one of my favorite arcs i've ever read um, and it like basically one of the, you, you're starting to see it here and and again jack hasn't really accepted what this is but one of the big themes of this is and it's the thing that in DC is commonplace at this point. It's it's every like JSA issue and every Flash issue is about the heritage of the things that go backwards, and that's kind of what this is about. And it, what's really interesting is that Robinson has taken most of this book, and he hasn't really let Jack go towards it at all. Like he, you're getting hints at it, but Jack is Jack is unlikable for the most part for a while. Oh, but see, he's doing it with everything but. Yeah, see, I, think, I, I, I agree with Sonia. I think it's very obvious, and I think it's very. I mean, it's, it's like it, in everything Jack does, it, it says he really likes what he's doing. He just refuses to yeah. admit it because he doesn't want to look non cool. Sure. He has those thought bubbles. He's constantly thinking about how much he respects and loves what what is has gone on in the past, but he doesn't want to say it, and I completely understand that. Well, the fact that he when you're in your mid 20s, you don't want to talk. You don't want to talk about the yeah. uncool thing being cool right. because you'll look cool, well, just, uncool. But I don't care about anything. I'm bored and I don't care. I mean, that's I spent my entire 20s doing that. That's those are some of my favorite moments is where he's talking with his dad and there's those thought boxes where he's, he says what he wants to say to his dad mm-hmm. and he doesn't and his dad says, "Were well, you going to say something?" And he says, "Oh, nothing. Never mind." Those are really it's, well done. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, poignant. I'm, like I'm learning a lot going through those. Um, just in, in how, how those conversations are done. Another couple of my favorite issues are the ones, and it, supposedly this happens about once a year, but he goes to meet with his dead brother um, in the graveyard or wherever. It's it basically yeah. um, Jack goes to meet with the ghost of his brother, Davey, and they have these conversations. White. Yeah, it's a black and white issue. Um, these are some of my favorites of the whole thing too. Um, and uh, did you guys like that stuff or? Didn't you? You know what you were saying about his face being too expressive. That was the only one where I felt like that, and I guess it's because he was so upset through that whole issue. Yeah. Well, the thing is, he's got to do a lot here with. I mean, basically, this is a whole issue of talking. And a lot of the issues, really, the main thing here is character development mm-hmm. and environment, and the plot is like secondary a lot of the time, which mm-hmm. is nice. It's a nice technique for building 
um, building em- characters you empathise with. But yeah, sometimes he's wailing and it's kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever you're upset. I know, people die. There's a, a lot of building towards fights and then they don't really happen. It just sort of gets talked out. And well, I could they see, are I, brothers, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, I didn't mean that issue specifically. I was, I was talking about the whole thing where it, wow. it, there's a lot of um, building up to confrontations. And I like the, the, um, the issue with the, the Hawaiian shirt. I love that issue. And, and they're, they're going to talk. They're going to, it's like, they're going to fight over the shirt and they realize, well, why are we fighting about this? You just yeah. buy the shirt. Have some money. Yeah, yeah. Let's fight. Or you can just buy it from me. All right. <laughs> yeah. what I love that it's issue refreshing to see that. Yeah. So I love that fun. issue because it showed again in this current climate where if you do, if you deign to do a one shot issue, people freak out all over the place because you're meandering from the main story. And that was such a beautifully done issue. That it made me miss those type of things that used to happen way way more often. But, you know, fifteen yeah, years. the idea that a one shot is negative is insane. It used to mm. first of all, it was always used to be one shots, and second, how the fuck are you supposed to build character? How how on earth are we supposed to relate to these people if they never do anything but run around like lunatics? Well, you know, this is one of the things about this series that I think is really it, it basically from a structure standpoint, it's very similar to what I to like um, preacher. Meaning it's a long, long thing. It's actually even longer than Preacher by about 20 issues, I think. But there are diversions and there are miniseries and there are things that all fill in the world like that. And it kind of existed on its own from as far as I know. It's like a main DC title and he exists in the DC universe. But for the most part, he wasn't cro- – there's a crossover later. But um, but I, when he does crossovers, when he does meet other villains, he makes it really believable and plausible which, well, and, and almost serious, which in the 90s wasn't really happening. It was well, all like – tongue-in-cheek and like oh we're so ridiculous it's more that i mean that the events of the main dc universe weren't affecting this book it's not like like you know like how books cross over into the avengers and what happens there (laughs) so spider-man ends up going into dark avengers tower that kind of thing spider-man's marvel i know but the point being that it happens sorry i don't Um, mean to be a fanboy um uh, 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 so one of the things that really strikes me about this book is that there are a lot of characters that come out of it who i I love like their favorite favorite characters of mine. Um, was there any anyone who really struck you for me? Like, and they haven't even built him up very much at this point. But Ted Knight um, is this really fascinating character because he's not, you know, he's kind of pissy to his son in the same way. Um, but but like, there's this affection that sort of becomes apparent between them over over time. But I also just like that he's like this science based guy, and he you know he, he's a hero, but that's that's only part of it. Um, that's just a really un- unique hero to me for some reason. Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of them. I really like, I mean, I like the O'Dares a lot. I like the whole family of cops and they're all different and they're all kind of wacky in different ways. And, um, I really like, I like the shade. I mean, we, we haven't talked about the shade at all, but the oh, shade is, shade is, is awesome. <laughs> you see, I mean, I'm again, having only read the two first two trades 45 times, I've, I, 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 he seems to be the main. <laughs> The main, um, you know, supporting character and the most interesting supporting character. I know. I keep wanting to ask you if it get, what happens next, but obviously you've only had time to read the first two trades 45 times. Here's so. what I'll tell you about him. You know, like, <laughs> the fact is you don't know what side he's on. Yeah. And that, that they're going to play that out until you can't take it anymore. Oh, he's the character I, I most it. relate to. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. He was the one. Because <laughs> we made when I was fist, reading this. Paul, is that it? Right. Is that why? Yeah. He's the guy who knew Oscar Wilde. And he just... <laughs> Like it's funny because Paul, you'll do you'll do pieces on the site where you'll you'll get into some sort of um, different types of writing and like that's my crazy fan fiction, yes. Yeah, and and it, you know what though, but it like when you do stuff like that, it makes me think of the shade, 
So when I hear that you didn't like it, I'm like, how can you how can you not like the shade? The shade. I didn't great. really get to the shade yet <laughs> when I was saying that. So you're so indignant. Let the man want what he wants. You know. He doesn't though. <laughs> he we, sometimes people know what's best for other people. Oh, Josh, you're not his mom. Jesus. No, but when, when doing comic review criticism, it is best to not jump out early because it will bite you in the ass. We've all learned yes. this. Yes, that's true. Um, Although I've, ha- I've made snap judgments and not wanted to articulate them because I didn't want to be making a snap judgment and then read like four trades and it's just confirmed exactly what I thought all that along. Is, that is the double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of the villain? Basically, uh, the, it starts off and the villain is is the mist, and it is mm. it is Ted Knight's old enemy. But then there is some some shenanigans and uh, and the, yeah, exactly. Nash, who who uh, the daughter of the mist, becomes the new mist. Isn't she, it horrible that moment when he breaks, when his mind goes? It's really sad, really, really depressing because none you don't get fucking you don't get the flash. The original Flash walking around going, what's my name again? Are we at work? Where are we? When somebody writes that story, it is going to win an Eisner Award. <laughs> when somebody oh. does, I mean, like if they had let Jay Garrick just age. Or like, like what if, Alzheimer's? Or like, I don't, if, yeah, you never see that characters with Alzheimer's. It's really hard watching the Mist go through that. I'm sorry. And, and the Mist is a genuinely bad character. The yeah. only redeeming feature about him was that he fought in, I think they said the Great War, which I assume would be World War One. Right. Um, mm. And they, they say, basically there's a bit where they have to they want to get the dad's medal back from from World War One. It's like the one good thing he ever did in his life. But other than that, like he's a killer. There's, he's not yeah. he's not one of those character you know villains who doesn't really kill anybody. They just steal. You know he's a he's a killer. He's a horrible person. And to watch him go through this awful. And I'm mm. really surprised nobody's done that. St- like Kingdom Come Superman starts to lose it. Because nobody wants to read no, that. I know it's horrible. <laughs> no one. <laughs> Jesus, Josh, you know. Oh, God, I'm totally going to write, like, the, dim, the Tim Drake taking, the Tim Drake taking care of uh, slowly, slowly. Who changes the diapers in that home? Oh, Jesus. Oh. You think they got hate mail for turning Hal Jordan crazy? <laughs> yeah, you got <laughs> You're it. Really? You're going to get death threats for giving Jay Garrick all something. And one of them's going to be from me. Yeah, it's going to be from me, too. <laughs> That's fine. We're going to yeah, co-write really. a letter. I'm just you saying, sick fuck, if that say. happened, you would feel it. Like you would, you would, that would affect you, and because because in this book it's affecting you, and it's a horrible character, not horrible with in liver situation. spots, and he yeah. doesn't you know, trim his nail. Did, I didn't feel that he was that evil. He just really hated Knight, like a lot. He's a killer. He yeah, didn't care he, about the people that he killed in the pursuits of his his short term desires. Yeah, some people are like that. Well, this doesn't make it okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're seeing insight into Sonya's. Into- oh, shit. <laughs> I like Nash, though. I think Nash is great. Nash is a wonderful, wonderful sort of bad guy to put put Jack against, I think. And it's, it's one she of those- could be a little crazier. Does she go a little crazier? I think by the end, I mean, the thing is that last sort of arc, which is, by the way, from a structure standpoint, the, the you know, Jack's day, or, like it was Ted's day. Or no, Jack's Day Part One, and then Ted's Day, and then one of the O'Dares Day, and then all of the O'Dares. All and then the O'Dares. Oh, did they all get one? And then at the oh, end, they all—they're all the same one. It was yeah. the O'Dare Day. And then it was. Yeah. Then it was. Then the end was Jack's Day Part Two, mm. and it's just such a cool structure of how to do issues. And I. So it was a five-issue arc, and every issue told the same day from different characters' perspectives. I really think, on a whole, I was impressed by the structure of work. Just Has knowing what little I know from the whole series that he's already seeding stuff and seeing where he's seeding stuff. And I think one thing he really has well done at this point, this is early in his career, is, is structuring interesting ways. And t- t- I like 
I like foreshadowing. I like flash forwarding. I like saying, well, in, in 10 years, he's going to be dead. Mm-hmm. I like knowing, mm-hmm. I like that kind of stuff. And it's terribly really filmic, don't you think? He, he, he builds it like, he, like you'd build an, a great movie with, with tiny, tiny hints of how amazing it's going to be. Except, in a way, it, it's almost not comparable to a movie because a movie is only two hours. It's yeah. more like it's more like like a TV like The Wire or yeah. something that's that's like a series of novels that are built up from from a seed and that that to me that's that's as satisfying as storytelling gets from my point of view like that's the thing I love the most is a long, well constructed, well thought out story that that takes years to tell, and I mean that's so impressive I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And that's amazing. Top. This was an early book he was doing. It's it's insane, really, that he was it able is. to do this. Well, that that brings up another point. I mean, so one of the things that I would, I would probably say that he needed to work on, which which even got better as he went. But there's times where he's very wordy, like he's taking a lot of time to say things. Um, it's almost like he wanted to do prose, but yes. was trying to mix the two. Um, it's a lot of stream of conscious writing. Yeah. I do think it works for this because this the it's very I don't want to say anachronistic, but the, the Opal City and the in the environment the characters are very old fashioned. And I think yeah, the did, wordiness I think the wordiness fits in into the setting. I, I think Yeah, now the only thing and Connor, I, I don't know if you'll back me up on this one, but on eleven, that was the weird thing. I suddenly became aware of someone writing it. And you've you've read it a million times, so maybe you know what I mean. But you know how you get so lost in a book that you don't realize it's being written. It's just mm-hmm. existing and flowing into you. And then with eleven, I guess because he was trying to echo that 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 era there was a structure to the sentences that sometimes made it feel clunky i think that there's times where it was clunky uh in, in the terms of like when when an early when a writer is is new um they tend to put too much on a comic book page and i think that this was happening at points like when you turn a page and you just see text 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 all over the place it it doesn't it doesn't bode well to to sort of feel like you're you're moving through it to me. Honestly, I never felt that way. And I know when I'm looking at it, I see that's what you mean. Yeah. But because of the art and the combination and the flow, it just felt like something I was moving through and very I think organic. It also depends on how much you connect to what's ha- what is being written mm-hmm. and how well the okay. words are put together. I think, that- I think Sonia, I think I, I see what Sonia's saying at all. I didn't feel like it was overwordy because I was really connecting to what was being written about. I think it's just one of those things like uh, if you read like early Alan Moore, I think he did the same thing. And I do think that, that you know, James Robinson sort of styles himself as like this was him trying to do like Alan Moore type of work. But the idea that there can be too many words on the page is so strange to me. I, I don't I don't know. There are as many words as there need to be. Um, no. as, uh, I think it's <laughs> I totally agree with that. No, I totally agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Paul, you've read like you, I don't know who, who else, but I know. That no, I'm, you've read- I'm with Josh on this. I, th- I think that it's um, in any kind of writing. In you know, I, I studied screen screenwriting myself. It's it, you do have a tendency when you're first starting out that you need to uh, express just everything. pile up the words, express everything. Yeah, and yeah. I think that there are a lot of moments where it works and a lot of moments where it doesn't in this book, um, and it gets better as it goes along. Yeah. Um, and I, and I do think that, I mean, there is an ob- objectivity to it, but there's also a subjective thing where we were talking about um, if you're on the same wavelength as the writer is, and that's a personal thing, you might not notice it. Mm-hmm. So so that's where, where Sonia and Connor are not 
not noticing it because they're they're enjoying the ride. Um, whereas I guess me and Josh were, were looking at it, and it's it's just like a subjective thing. If if you're not on the same wavelength and it's you're not in the right mood for that, it's it's not work. It's, a, it's not going to work for you. It's a brave choice because in that sense, you do risk slowing people down, I guess, and 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 sort of losing them. Um, so in that in that sense, it's a good thing. Like, okay, okay. Now wait. Like, where's that? Again, where's the problem? This isn't manga. We're not supposed to read each page in two point four seconds. I mean, I think it's okay for it to take longer. Are you telling to me you've never gotten to a comic books. book page and hit a block of text, and you were just like, get on with it? I've never had that happen. No, oh, I've uh, never had that happen. Um, I think maybe you're reading comics wrong. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know that it's the amount Wait. of words. It's the way words? things are phrased. I, I just. I think. Yeah, that it's, it's, it's exactly. about the writing. It's all about the quality of the writing. If the sure. quality of the writing exactly. is bad, then then a lot of it's going to be really bad. But if the quality of writing yeah, is then good, it stands exactly. He's it's he's writing now. very specifically here, though. So you have you have to be. It's it's like um, the rhythm of the writing where he's um, doing fragments and, and stuff like that. So if you're not at the same pace as he is, then it's going to feel clunky. But if you're at the same rhythm as he is, then you're going to follow each beat as it goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know it's, it I think it's of? a subjective thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the guy who I think of in this is, is Michael Shabon. And I think whenever I start reading one of his books, I haven't read a ton of them, but mm. like he, he's sort of overly flowery. Um, yes. For my taste, I suppose, especially at the beginning. And then again, eventually you sort of get locked into it and you get used to it. I guess Neil Stevenson probably does the same thing. We're like, he's just talking so much and being so in detail. Are you talking about novels? Are you talking about novels? Yeah. Novels the same thing. I mean, it's just like the... the well, same as comics. As far as language and telling a story through words, yes. Um, like you can okay. be flowery, you can start to use. I think this is written very prosaically. I mean, they're different, but okay. <laughs> you you can say they're the same, but they're different things. It's they're still- different mediums. They use language completely differently because with a comic, you have imagery to pull your eye around. And okay, to but move. if I'm looking at a page of of stuff that is two guys talking or a cityscape the whole time, and and I'm looking at a block of text, it's the same thing as a paragraph from a book, which could exist in either place. It, it does something to either slow you down or speed you up or do something. But either way, the language that's used in that, you can use five words to describe something or you can use 20 words to describe something. And that works the same in either way mechanically. Maybe you should try Archie comics. They don't have so many words. <laughs> or that. <laughs> Please don't kill me now. I'm sorry. It's just so weird. It's just okay. Here's here's a thought. Okay, so Sonia and Connor, you liked you you really liked the art, right? Like mm-hmm. in the, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You were, I got I got, really, I got better, but I like I'm saying I liked him more. I like him more here than I do like currently. But I like them both. Yeah. I think Connor. I had an aversion to the art in the beginning where I I understood what what they were going for, but knowing. Uh, what he's capable of now i thought it was very crude so i was focused more on the writing so that if there was anything that was that felt off i noticed that that more like where like the art couldn't um it couldn't bolster it it couldn't like help me along mm-hmm. so i wasn't in, i wasn't enjoying the visuals as much so all i had was the that prose mm. So I, I this that's one of the things that I experienced with this book was that if I noticed that if I'm not enjoying the art then I won't give the writing as much of a like a a head start I guess I don't know. To me I'm used to sort of rules of thumb of how much stuff you want to put in one panel. 
Like, if the word balloon is bigger than the subject inside the thing, like, maybe you should spread it out more or something like that. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a style thing. It's, it's a, a, a pacing thing. Um, and the thing is, he, he, you know, he slows down on it as he goes. Um, one of the things about Tony Harris is that's interesting is that if you look at a page of Ex Machina now, you will rarely see a page with more than three or four panels on it. And in this, he was doing, you know, like six, seven, eight panel pages. Because James Robinson didn't write Ex Machina. I know, but the difference being that, like, now Tony Harris only, like, I've heard, like, Bendis say, like, he won't work with Tony Harris because he writes too many panels for something. And Tony, but that's Tony Harris is big enough now where people write. No, I know. It's just interesting. And I yeah. read that that was James Robinson. I mean, from what I read, that was James Robinson's choice. He was planning out the pages. Mm-hmm. Right, right. The point being that back then he could do that, whereas if he tried to do this book now, he wouldn't have Tony Harris draw it. Yeah. And, they, you know, you know, it, it should be said, like, they had a, a bit of a falling out on this book yeah. you know, at later yeah. later on. And, and um, it's funny because you liked issue 11 a lot, and I think that the artist who follows Tony Harris, um, I'm going to say it, Peter Schnezbear. I actually heard somebody say it correctly the other day, and it's much simpler than I'm doing. But, uh, Peter Ikea tabletop. Yeah, that guy. The, 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 the Pwang chair guy. Right. Um, Schnezbear, like, he's, he's got a completely different style. Uh, that's, Peter that's, Allen Wrench. Yeah. <laughs> no many of those I have. <laughs> Jesus. <clears throat> I, I really like what he did on uh, Light Brigade with uh, Peter Tomasi, so I'm looking forward to that. What went, so he takes over on Arc Duties, or? Yeah, about halfway through. Okay. Oh, um, I'm really curious as to what that is like. It, it works. That's all oh, I can tell you. It's like a spoiler. It's like you, you ruined a surprise. You know what's funny is that I didn't, I wasn't really cognizant. By the time that that happens, you're so into the story that you almost, because you're also used to, you know, there's a couple of different artists that show up in here. You kind of don't notice... Of- Big name people will draw some of yeah. this stuff. Yeah. You kind of don't notice the the switch over until you realize that it's been it's happened for a while. You know what wow. I mean? Because this the one, one issue was it the O'Dares where like Stuart Amonin and Chris Sprouse and Andrew Robinson, and Gary Erskine and Amanda Connor all did, all did stuff. And I didn't really notice the differences in most of the pages. No, I didn't either. But the thing is, like, you get used to the artists sort of switching around time and again. So mm-hmm. when you get to an issue that's not the same, you're like, oh, okay, this is just a different. And then all of a sudden, you realize like, hey, this isn't changing like six or eight issues. Oh, it seems like there's a new series artist. Like I was two trades <laughs> in and was like, oh, look. Wow. Um, wow. That sounds kind of intense. I want to see that so much. It, yeah, it's, it's going to be worth the wait. And, and in 2016, you will enjoy the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I assume everybody's got their, uh, their, their volume twos ready to go mm-hmm. and, and excited about the future. Wait, there's more of this book? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because like this is this is really very good but i mean the like he just gets better and, and it gets better and you know all the stuff's there but like his mechanics and the way that it all moves um it, it's really it's really something to see and there's there's going to be a couple of issues in there which are sort of the memory like the issues you remember forever like you could ask me right now i could tell you three issues right away you know that and, it, and it's pretty good all the way through there's, there's one rough patch but You'll probably disagree with me when it comes up. <laughs> why, why would I disagree with you? Why would you say that? I don't know what you mean. Because it's your autonomic response. <gasps> See, oh. that's so untrue. I agreed with everything you said about it up until the whole too many words. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I not allowed to make jokes? Because you were – no? Is that – I think you're going to have to go to HR together. We're going to have to work this out in mediation. <laughs> All right. 
I think we should take some time to acknowledge the humility at which I admitted that I was wrong about Starman, and I didn't make a big deal about it. Well, and I did I, get the memo that you sent, and you sent bound, and you know, you didn't really need the forty-five point type. <laughs> I was wrong. Starman was good. I just, I think that I deserve a pat on the back for just for for not, you know, griping don't, about it. Don't you think you also reserve deserve a, a rebuke for your, your earlier? Aspersions? I, those are th- weird words. It's <laughs> like an agricultural term. Would you term. say that there's a way that I could phrase he's, them he's, quicker and easier? Yeah, he's going to give you shit for not liking it. That's it's what a, he means. What I'm going to say is nothing to do with what the internet's going to do to him when this hits the air. So <laughs> I still don't like Kingdom Come. That's fine. Okay. Uh, They'll just be mad at me for bullying you, Josh. Um, anything else? <laughs> it's out in Thunderdome next next week. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Explode number two, Thunderdome. It'll be odd how she's not on the next volume, but whatever. Are we wrapped with this book? Are we yeah. any further points that anyone wants to make? I quite liked it. I, I think people talk about James Robinson all the time about how, because um, he's currently writing Superman books or two of them, and he, they talk about how his structure is great. And he does great long form storytelling, and he may not. You may not like him at first, but you will. You know, it'll pay off. And I, I like him from the get-go. I think he's a. I think, he, especially here, he's really locked into these characters, and I really enjoyed. I mean, this is a great. This is. I can see again having read this forty-five thousand times. It keeps getting bigger every time we talk about it, which is, you know, we, never mind. Um, uh, I, I just think he's really locked into these characters, and it's going to be interesting. I'm really looking forward to the next one. I've got it sitting here next to me, and the third one's coming out soon, and there's going to be three more after that. I'm really excited. Cool. You know, it's great to find these, these long-form stories and have them be as good as you hope they will be. Oh, there's nothing better. There's, there's just nothing better than, like, going through Preacher or going through... It's kind of akin to finding, you know, when I read Preacher in the same... Around 2000 and trades for the first time. It's like, oh, this is very good. Yeah. Uh, but Preacher starts off with such a bang. I mean, I don't know. This isn't the same... No, no, I didn't say the same. I said it's the same thing as discovering a series. That's the only similarity I'm, oh, I'm making yeah. to Preacher and Starman. It does, yeah, it, but but I I think I mean it's a different kind of story. But at the end, yeah. um, I'll be interested to see what you think. Yeah, hooked in. All right, folks. Uh, you got any questions? You can go to ifanboy.com. You can post on the thread about this show. You can always email us at contact at ifanboy.com, and you can read Paul and Sonia's work on the site every single week. Paul on Tuesday, Sonia on Thursdays. Connor and I are always around there too, but we alternate, so I can't pin it down. Jeez. Awesome. All right, thanks, guys. Usually so typical, a piece of you for